Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. Please don't go. I need you so I... Welcome, everyone, to Feminist Hot Dog, the news, humor, and cultural survival podcast by, for, and about women and people of all genders who experience sexism. I'm really excited to be here today with Amelia Hruby. Did I say that correctly? You did. Thank you. Good. Who is the host of the exciting podcast, 50 Feminist States. And I was so excited when she reached out to me and asked me to appear on her podcast. And of course, I had to invite her to appear on Feminist Hot Dog because what an awesome idea to travel around all 50 states and talk about feminism. Like, that just sounds like a dream. Um, And so Amelia is taking us along with her on this epic road trip, which how how long total do you think it's going to take you to get to all 50 states? So... I started traveling, I guess, last summer, so 2018. I think I'll be done around 2021. I'm not traveling full time. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of traveling between work. So I think it'll be about three years to finish the project. Well, that sounds like a great way to spend three years. Um, So, Amelia, welcome to Feminist Hot Dog. Welcome to Montgomery, Alabama. Thanks so much. It's really great to be here. Um, To start off with, I just want to ask you about your identities. We all have multiple identities. So, Amelia, how do you describe yours? Great question. Um, I always like to start identity descriptors with the empowering ones mm-hmm. as opposed to necessarily like the demographic checkboxes. So I like it. Um, I am a writer, soon to be author, and a podcaster, and um, a PhD candidate. I am a like fierce friend. I am a powerful woman. And then if I'm going through just more like the checklist version, um, I am a cis white woman. I live in Chicago. I'm queer. I uh, am middle class. Um, Any pets? I am a cat owner and lover. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Shout out to my cat, Wilco. She's hanging out in Chicago with our subletter while I do this trip. Very nice. So you were said soon to be author. Yeah, I self-published a book called 50 Feminist Mantras in 2017. Oh, wow. Um, And that book is currently under contract to be put out with a real publishing company. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. I'm I'm super excited. It kind of happened out of the blue through a combination of lots of things I'd been doing. And it's super exciting. So I haven't officially announced it yet because the contract is not finalized and signed. Okay. But um, it will be soon. Like it's in revisions right now. So that book will be available summer 2020 for Very cool. Audiences. Well, please keep us posted. Yeah. We'd love to let folks know how they can find it. All right. So we've established you're currently road tripping through the South right now for your um, podcast, 50 Feminist States. Tell us the origin story of this podcast. What made you decide to do that? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, 50 Feminist States started, I think, the idea came in kind of like a flash of inspiration. And I always feel a little vulnerable telling this story um, because it's a, it, was, it was a lot of like 
it just arrived fully formed, which I think is wild. And if that's never happened to you, it sounds nonsensical. And if it has, you're like, of course. That's that's basically what happened with Feminist Hot Dog. It just was, I like to say it was downloaded into my brain. Yeah, exactly. So um, in 20, I think, 18, early 2018, I was really like in a period of feeling very... Um, scattered just like in myself and I wanted to integrate so badly and I was really trying to figure out like how do I bring together all of this academic knowledge I have about feminism all of these amazing organizers I know in Chicago and around the country um, all of these podcasting skills I got from community radio and my desire to travel when I am very lucky to have a semi-flexible job and like career path right now and I like really wanted to integrate all of that stuff and I just started kind of saying that to people and then at a certain point I think I can really think it was like June something of 2018 I like woke up and had this idea like 50 feminist states was the name I knew I was going to do this podcast I knew I was going to travel around the country and talk to activists and artists about their work um, I always say for gender justice and queer liberation and yeah, I just knew. So then I wanted to to make it happen. I crowdfunded for the first. I've done two Kickstarter campaigns to bring this to life at this point. Um, and now I've been to I've done episodes in 16 states. This road trip has nine more states. So wow. by the end of this fall, like half of the U.S. will be like on the podcast. Oh, it's so inspiring. I'm I'm, I cannot wait. I've started listening, but I can't wait to catch up and then follow the rest of your journey. So oh, cool. Thanks. So what did you hope to accomplish with the podcast? What are you hoping that your listeners will get out of your journey? Um, I've been in school for like 20 something years straight and have been teaching at the university level for the past four years or so. And so I'm really an educator at heart and I always want people to learn things. And that goes through this podcast as well. So um, what I'm doing is trying to learn from the people doing grassroots work. Like I'm going to them and asking if they'll share their stories and tell me what they're doing and how they're making it happen. I learn from them. And then I'm trying to communicate that information to listeners. So if I think even about the very first episode of the podcast, which was in Nebraska, which is where my family's from. So there's a kind of an autobiographical reason for me to start there. It also just happened to be where I was when I started the podcast. I left. I like gave up my apartment in Chicago, put all my stuff in storage and was like six months, just this podcast. I'm going to do it. Um, so I landed at my parents' house with like where I dropped off my cat and all my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Wilco needed a home. She did. She went to live with my parents and I was like, okay, I'm in Nebraska where they live and let me do some interviews here. So that first episode is about reproductive justice in Nebraska. And I found a flyer at a coffee shop for an abortion doula. And I was like, whoa, who knew there were abortion doulas in Nebraska? And especially because it's a very, the governor himself calls Nebraska pro-life state. Oh my. So yeah, so it's a very anti-choice environment. So I was like, I got to talk to this abortion doula. Um, And I did. And then Coop um, brought a few other organizers. And I was like, we're going to talk about abortion, reproductive justice. And then we had this whole conversation about home birth that I wasn't expecting. And that's what the episode is about. So 
to circle back to like my goals, what I did with that episode is I listened to them and then I did some framing and research to teach myself. And then you have this episode, I think, that really shows how much you can learn about a topic that maybe you didn't know anything about. And that's what I hear most from listeners is like, I learned so much when I listened to an episode, whether it was that one, there's a really powerful episode about decriminalizing sex work um, with a friend of mine, activist um, named Red in New York. There's a really powerful episode also in New York about Palestinian liberation with a friend, another friend of mine, an activist named Dr. Ashley Bohr. Um, so what I hope happens with this podcast foremost is that people listening learn about different feminist issues and the work that grassroots organizers are doing to resist, to liberate themselves and others. Um, some subsidiary goals that I always bring up too, though, are a lot of my audience is pretty urban and I want them to see these more rural or Southern or, you know, sometimes far flung Midwestern places I'm mm-hmm. going to. Mm-hmm. I want them to hear from people there and realize that those people hold so much knowledge about resistance and that writings, this like red state, blue state narrative we have is total crap. I'm just going to call it out. It's bullshit. I live in Illinois, which is a blue state, but like only the Chicago is the only blue part of it. And there were people in the state legislature this year who like tried to who wrote a bill and tried to get it passed to like break Chicago off from the rest of the state. So it'd be its own state. Wow. (laughs) Um, Because the state, because ever, because it's like just like so conservative everywhere else. And the population just means that because there are so many people in Chicago voting for democratic candidates, it's a quote unquote blue state. So I want this podcast to tell, show people like those narratives are so oversimplified Mm -hmm. and that, There are people in every state who are incredibly progressive, who are fighting so hard for their own liberation and their community's liberation, um, and that I just find the people in those most embattled places have the best tools for resistance, and I want to be learning from them, and I want to be paying attention to and helping lift them up. So that's also always a goal in this podcast, which is sometimes why, like when I go to a state, I go to a weird place, or like I go to a city you've never heard of instead of going to like the big city there, because I think... Those are the stories that that interest me and that I feel like honored and humbled to hear. Well, the podcast is great. Congratulations on making it almost halfway through the country. And yeah, everyone listen and learn from from Amelia and her many, many wonderful guests. So did you always identify as a feminist or were there? I mean, I guess I should ask, do you? I'm assuming you identify as a feminist. (laughs) Um, And can you tell us about just some of the feminist milestones in your life? Well, yes, I can tell you. But no, I did not always identify as a feminist. Um, So kind of, I guess, a little bit of the backstory of this podcast that also helps answer that question is that. I grew up in a kind of small-ish town in North Carolina. I think the county had like 30-some thousand people when I was growing up there. Um, And pretty conservative family, very conservative environment. And then I went away to a boarding high school in North Carolina, and then I went to college in North Carolina, kind of all within a one-hour radius of the town I grew up in. And... I think throughout all of that, I don't think I would have identified as a feminist. I was very steeped in a sort of, you know, Christian ideology that 
I thought all people were valuable and, you know, I would, I think I would have said that I might've been one of those people that I hate when I, I hate when I hear this now, I think because of my personal background, it's like, I'm not a feminist, I'm a humanist. And it, mm. oh, it makes me cringe so hard. But I think that like younger me might've really said that, yeah. um, which is why it makes me cringe so hard. Like the most, those things, things bother you when you recognize yourself. The sort of, the sort of all lives matter of, of yeah. feminism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably what I would have thought. And you know, I went to a women's college that had no feminist discourse. And while I was there, the like women's studies department that had only been open for a couple of years got closed. And that's yeah. just sounds shocking to me. Yeah. The college had previously been associated with like the Southern Baptist Convention and had left that because that church's rules were so... Um, antithetical to the point of a women's college and educating women and raising them up, but still had a lot of like kind of strong religious overtones. And, um, yeah, so I went to this women's college without any sort of like feminist discourse and I still learned on my own. I started studying a lot of philosophy and theory and learned so much and started to expand my worldview and, but wasn't doing anything relatively like activist related. And so I got into grad school and moved to Chicago and started taking, I took a couple women and gender studies classes. I started learning a lot. I met some of the activists I've now interviewed on the podcast and just had this whole like feminist awakening. I don't know if I like when I say it that way, but just like I felt like my eyes opened and I realized that, you know, the particularly the like blue collar and middle class narrative that I'd been taught growing up about bootstraps and working hard and if you work hard enough and you follow the rules hard enough like anybody can get will achieve success and can have a comfortable life I my eyes were just completely open that, that wasn't true and so I really got this like social justice education that really helped inform my feminism and then I think I really came into feminism because I felt so stifled by the narrative that I needed to get married and have a man provide for me. Mm. And I tried really hard to live into that. I like dated awful people. I committed myself to them. I was so, it was really hard for quite a few years. And I think, you know, just reading feminist things and being around feminist people showed me that I didn't have to live that way. And um, some of the really beautiful queer community and queer family that I'm so happy have come to be in my community and love I've been able to love and have loved me really showed me that I could reject those narratives. And that I think is when feminism really clicked for me when I was able to embrace like my feminine qualities and my masculine qualities and not value one over the other. And yeah. And then I could really proudly and still really proudly say that I'm a feminist and have since moved into my own critiques of feminism and white Mm -hmm. feminism and it's, and you know, all of its issues. So that's a journey as well. But the short answer is, no, I have not always been a feminist. Um, I wish more people would talk about kind of how they come to feminism. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate the question because I think it's important. We all have different journeys. And I was always so jealous of all my liberal friends and their liberal parents and their like wokeness. And it took me a really long time to get here. And it's continued to kind of be pretty embattled with my family and other people I grew up with to kind of just I might be who I am around them yeah well I I know that even people who aren't necessarily aligned with their families or 
your communities of origin like you're sowing seeds even if you never mm-hmm. know even yeah. if you, you know if people see you and you're you're getting their wheels turning i'm positive of that yeah so tell us about the rest of your life when you are not feminist podcasting <laughs> what um what else do you enjoy doing what are some other projects that you're working on so as an Aries, I have a million projects at any given time. And luckily, as a Capricorn rising, I actually finish them as opposed to being so scattered. I never finish anything. So I am in what's about to be my final year of a PhD program um, and finishing my PhD in philosophy with an emphasis in women and gender studies. I work for a very cool company out in California that I always like to shout out called Sister. Um, And we run a program called Feminist Business School and do feminist business consulting. And that has just been um, relatively new work for me. And I've just been so thrilled to be able to really kind of bring so much of my political practice and intellectual practice into my work, which I think is such a rare opportunity. So shout out to Sister. You can follow us on Instagram at sister.is. <laughs> um, oh, I should also shout out the woman who started that company who I work with, Jennifer Armbrust. Uh, I mean, all, amazing. All the work she's done to establish it is so great. And I'm so happy to be a part of it. What else do I do? I make zines with my friends and like really committed to just like the democratic sharing of knowledge through podcasting and zine making. Um, I love music. I DJ for the community radio station that trained me in podcasting. Oh, fun. Yeah, it's called Chirp Radio. If you're in Chicago, it's 107.1 FM, but you can find it anywhere online. Um, We have an app, as everyone does. Um, Yeah, I like to hang out with my cat and my partner and in our home in Chicago. And I've been working really hard on being a better friend and community member and showing up in spaces better those are some things that I, I've well I've been doing. that sounds like a very full and and wonderful life thank mm-hmm. you for sharing all that with us so how can we find follow and support 50 feminist states so you can follow on instagram it's my primary social media platform um so that's at 50 feminist states um 50 is spelled out f-i-f-t-y you can also find us on any podcast listening platforms so if you're in itunes or overcast or stitcher or spotify 50 feminist states is there and there's tons of stuff on the website um, 50 feministstates.com you can also follow me on instagram at lady amelia uh so two a's at the end <laughs> and i i really do i do i guess i should have mentioned this in my last project um i do a series called feminist mantra monday on instagram which relates to my book 50 feminist mantras so on my personal instagram you'll really see kind of more of like motivational feminist content really thinking about like how we build feminism into our everyday lives on 50 feminist states you'll see more of like the travel Mm -hmm. when episodes are coming out um but i think they both kind of run together a lot of the time too as as well they should i'm i'm here for all of it i can't i'm very very excited i'm definitely gonna buy that book so thank you thank you so much Are you ready to talk about what makes your feminist heart sing? Yes. Okay. Well, I have just a couple of things, so maybe we can alternate. Cool. Okay. So something that made my feminist heart sing recently is uh, I had a dear friend in town over the weekend, and she brought her new boyfriend. 
and we were talking over dinner about the about the podcast feminist hot dog um this podcast that we're on right now perhaps you've heard of it (laughs) and so you know he asked me he's like okay well explain this to me and so I sort of gave my my usual elevator speech and then I could tell that he was still sort of like wanted needed a little bit more maybe and Mm -hmm. so he said okay so a guy like me who kind of gets feminine you know gets why feminism is necessary but why a podcast like what is it about you know he Mm -hmm. just really needed to sort of understand like the nitty-gritty like why you know why would people listen to this is you know I get I get feminism is pretty straightforward but like isn't it usually isn't that kind of it and I said well I mean I like to think of it as a way to to illustrate that there are many ways to lead a feminist life and then he said what does it mean to lead a feminist life? And it was mm-hmm. a really sincere question. Mm-hmm. I thought, and then it w- and then I th- reflected on it, and I thought, well, that's also a really profound question, mm-hmm. you know. And so, I thought about it, and the I essentially sort of answered it by giving him several examples from the podcast. So, you know, we've talked to a woman on this show who calls herself the feminist nutritionist and Mm -hmm. she talks to people of and treats people of all genders who have body dysmorphia. And a big part of that treatment is unpacking how really rigid gender roles have in part kind of Mm -hmm. tricked their brains into thinking something about their bodies that isn't true. And, you know, I also talked to, I talk about like this feminist teacher who teaches her third graders about consent. Mm. And um, because you can absolutely understand concepts like asking permission or saying something makes you uncomfortable in the third grade without talking about, you know, sex or keg parties or, you know, (laughs) any of these things, you can talk about that in a really age appropriate way. And, And that is a way of, you know, that's a way of leading a feminist life because you are thinking about how all the, things that have led us to rightfully believe that we need feminism, right? Um, How do those show up in our work and in our Mm -hmm. lives on a daily basis? Because they absolutely do, because it's, you know, just like racism, it's there whether you acknowledge it or not. Mm -hmm. And then you learn to apply the skills and apply the shifts in mindset that feminism has taught you to help change those things in the sphere in which you occupy Mm -hmm. um, or the sphere that you occupy. And that was sort of the explanation that I that we came to over the course of our conversation. And I really appreciated that because I think it just made me realize like, well, I interview all these guests who, you know, either identify as feminist or womanist or liberationist, but they're very mm-hmm. deeply entrenched in this. And I don't, I don't always take a minute to step outside and think, well, what does it mean to lead a feminist life and sort of engaging in that with someone who's not, you know, who doesn't think about it maybe as much on a daily basis. Um, I was just really grateful to him for raising that question and for, pushing me to think about it and I I really loved where that took our conversation so that made my heart sing yeah I think that's really beautiful it reminds me um there's a feminist philosopher named Sarah Ahmed and she wrote a book called living a feminist life oh I'll have to Um, check it out yeah it's really it came out like on an academic press so I don't think it got the kind of you know popular audience attention that it might have but I think it's pretty approachable to read and she's somebody who really lives up to her feminist values she just last year or the year before she left a tenure track job at a university in the UK um, because they wouldn't adopt the anti-harassment policies that she that they were trying the students were really working on together and and so she left like in solidarity with her grad student wow um, which 
if you know anything about academia, leaving a tenure track job is something you don't, or a tenured, not tenure track, a tenured position is something you like don't do. So anyway, that book is great. And I think it's just a different way to answer this, like already kind of beautiful perspective you have on these like multifaceted ways to live that life. Mm -hmm. So. Um, so what made my feminist heart sing? So I'm on this road trip going to nine states talking to feminist activists and artists. So Your heart must be like, it's like a full <laughs> choir in it there. It is, like a whole choral arrangement of feminist happiness. But really what, when I, when that, I love the question, like what made my heart sing was this experience I had last weekend um, in Water Valley, Mississippi. I went there to interview Jamie Harker, who opened a bookstore called Violet Valley Bookstore, which is, I believe, the only queer feminist bookstore in Mississippi. Um, Water Valley is a tiny town of about 4,000 people, and it has this, you know, idyllic main street, and there's a big kind of, like, restaurant that kind of... Um, anchors that street and Violet Valley Bookstore is right next door and it's a used and new bookstore it is covered in rainbow flags you know just like driving down you immediately or I immediately you know it's a place I'm going to feel welcome and safe I met Jamie in the bookstore before it opened you know she met me there like Saturday at 8 a.m. to do the interview before she works there the whole day and we sat down and amidst this like whole LGBTQ reading section, which had amazing sections like lesbian police thrillers and like stuff. Wow. (laughs) Like so niche and wonderful. It had this super rich feminist history section. I bought all these books on like feminist workers' rights and socialism and stuff. Um, And so that really, like the, the fact that that store exists made my heart, my feminist heart sing. Jamie as a person made my feminist heart sing. She is just this like powerhouse lesbian professor organizer she um and she was so humble and then I talked to some of her students that afternoon and they told me all these things that she didn't even bring up Mm -hmm. like she was integral to starting the pride festival they have in Oxford Mississippi she is the director of this women and gender studies program at Old Miss and that program is like getting it's growing at a time when those programs across the country are shrinking because she's such a valued community member and leads it in such a brilliant way. She helped do this huge oral history project um, about queer voices in Mississippi. She just put out a new book about that. So she she herself and that bookstore make my feminist heart sing. And I can't wait to share the story um, in like the Mississippi episode of 50 Feminist States. Oh, it sounds amazing. Tell us the name of the bookstore again. Violet Valley Bookstore. Violet Valley. All right. If y'all are driving through Mississippi, you got to stop. Yeah, and they have a website, and uh, it's a nonprofit. You can donate to their cause if you feel um, inclined. It's a great space. Fantastic. Well, thank you. The other thing that I thought I would share is I finally got on the train of the non-disposable menstrual products. Oh, cool. After wanting to for a long time, and it was quite an experience, I have to say. Um, So I you know, had been sort of scoping out, because there's all kinds of stuff now like there was for a long time there was just the diva cup and now it's like instagram has figured out you know that i have an interest in this and it's like every other ad that i see is it was one of these things so i ordered one it wasn't the diva cup but it was like another version of something similar and i really had to i so i will i will say that i ended up liking it um but i really had to get down with my body in a way that i 
do not normally and <laughs> and be okay with like looking at and touching blood and in a way that you don't normally have to with mm-hmm. with the um, disposable products and figuring out how to get this thing in place so that it would stay put and do its job. And that was truly a journey, uh, you know, over the course of the five days or whatever. So and to their credit, the manufacturer of this particular uh, brand did it did a good job of indicating that it would be a journey and you know on the box it said specifically like take some time to practice mm-hmm. and you know use some backup for you know until you sort of like figure it out but you will figure it out and you can write to us and there's no such thing as too much information that was another <laughs> thing that they said you know there's no TMI here so even though it was kind of challenging and it, it did it gave me like a sense of accomplishment when I sort of like I got it um, it taught me some things about my body which I did not know um, and really appreciated it. And now I'm not committed to throwing away a bunch of trash every month, mm-hmm. which had been and was really starting to bump me out. And also having to go and spend money on stuff, every, you know, like every time mm-hmm. being like, oh, I'm going to spend another like $6 on or- organic tampons. That's all done with. So yeah, one less thing to worry about. So I just thought I'd share that little, that little piece. It was, like I said, it was, it was something, but it, it ultimately... It did make my heart sing. Congrats. It's a big step. Thank you. Do you have someone that you would like to induct into the Hot Dog Hall of Fame? I do. Okay. I'm very torn between two people, but I'm just going to go with one of them. Um, I had two really amazing conversations in Memphis. And um, so I am nominating for induction into the Hot Dog Hall of Fame Um, a woman named Sharice Scott, and she runs an organization in Memphis called Sister Reach. And they are the first and only reproductive justice organization in Tennessee. She is a black woman. It is run by black women. I loved that when she explained reproductive justice to me, the way she started was by saying that in in her mind, its goal is to center women of color and their experiences in services provided and in leadership. So Mm -hmm. it's an office of people of color. They really expanded it now to include not just women, but um, they have a whole program for masculine of center folks who need, have so much knowledge, but also the very specific set of needs that they work to provide for. So Sister Reach is really kind of also interrogating, I think, its own you know, ideas of gender, which I admire so much. Um, and in fact, I can sneak in the other person I wanted to nominate by saying that I spoke to them on Friday and on Saturday where they were having this annual awards banquet. And for the first time, they were honoring a trans woman who is also the other person I spoke to in Memphis. Um, her name is Jasmine Tasaki, and she's also like just a powerhouse of a organizer and nonprofit founder and runner, whatever. Um, leader. Leader. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so Sharice's story really starts with her experience at, uh, seeking an abortion in Chicago and ending up at a crisis pregnancy center. Mm-hmm. And she's told that story. She told it to me, she told it on Samantha B, uh, her show full frontal, I think. And basically because of her experiences with that crisis pregnancy center, she ended up not getting that abortion and having a a child that really threw her and her child into this cycle of poverty and distress. And so when she, just all of those experiences, she can trace back to that really harmful organization Mm -hmm. claiming to be 
an abortion resource for people and then really just shaming them um, and then providing no resources on the other side of that experience. And so that led her to start this amazing organization that does so many things from just like direct support to, you know, HIV testing in the office to um, this support, this program for masculine up center folks to like, they just do so many things in Memphis and I'm honoring her. I want to honor that work and just lift it up as high as possible. Absolutely. Well, Sharice and Jasmine, welcome to the Hot Dog Hall of Fame and thank you for all of your amazing work. Yeah, they're so great. Well, Amelia, I really appreciate you taking the time to squeeze in a feminist hot dog episode while you're here in Montgomery. This has been a real pleasure and I hope maybe we can find a way to work together again in the future. Yeah, I hope so too. Thanks so much. And good luck on the rest of your trip. We'll be listening in. Uh, Thank you listeners for spending your time with us today. Our music is by Ava Luna and Loyalty Freak Music and our sound editing is by Square Light and Design. As always, you can support the show on Patreon and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And until next time, love yourself and love your buns. Goodbye.
This has been a production of NOCO FM.